0: This is Aurora from the Educating All Learners Alliance, and you're listening to Visiting Casita, Systems That Contribute to Positive and Effective Learning Culture. On the ELA School Study Tours in January 2023, we focused on highlighting practices that center students with disabilities and learning differences. So today, we're talking to the school leadership team of the Casita Center for Technology, Science, and Math, And then we're going to get an inside look into how they leverage strengths to develop high-quality systems. Thanks
1: so much for joining me today. Let's start with your name and your role at Casita. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenny Chen. I'm the principal here at Casita. Hi,
2: and I'm Liz Weiser, and I am the International Baccalaureate Coordinator at Casita.
0: Excellent. And when we visited your school back in January, the ELA School Study Tour, we had a great opportunity to meet your staff, your students. But can you give our listeners a little bit of a sense of... Know, a background on Casita, what are the grades, demographics, any important
1: information about your school? Sure. We have 680 students and we are a K-5 school that will be increasing another fourth grade class. For the past three years, we've been expanding our school since we have demand into our magnet school. So at Casita, we are a magnet elementary in the Vista Unified School District, which means that students apply and are accepted through the lottery. So this means that we have 680 diverse learners from a array of cultural backgrounds. Some of them live in our surrounding neighborhood. Some of them commute from within or outside our district boundaries. And we notice that some parents work multiple jobs to make ends meet and some work in more professional fields, such as science and engineering. So we have a huge, diverse background of our learning community. And we also know that everyone is highly invested to come to Casita. So we notice this from school events, volunteerism, a lot of partnerships, lots of communication. So we have a very strong learning community. We do have 9% of our population that are identified as English learners and about 45 of our percentage of students who are identified as socially, economically disadvantaged.
0: Liz, you had mentioned that you are the International Baccalaureate Coordinator at the school. Could you explain to our listeners a little bit more about that program?
2: Sure. So our curriculum framework is based on the International Baccalaureate Program, And so for the primary years program, which is elementary school, we are required to have a coordinator who is the liaison between the school and the international baccalaureate organization. So my job is to know the standards and practices that IB puts forth and make sure that we are adhering to those. IB calls the standards and practices aspirational. So you have a lot of flexibility to grow. There's a lot to the program. There's a lot to learn. Um, we're always getting better and reflecting on how we can improve our practices to follow that framework.
0: That's great. You know, we saw so many great things at Casita and our tour groups really came away with a lot of different strategies and ideas. But for our listeners, can you give us sort of a general overview of the Casita approach to leadership, significant you know, structures or systems, sort of a general overview of,
1: of how you do things at Casita? Sure, our focus is really on learning and growing as an individual. All of our staff members understand our vision and we have three types of leadership teams that really support our overall focus on our learning culture. So we have our grade level leads which is our site-based decision-making team. We also have a pedagogical leadership team which is focused on different instructional strategies, theory and how to make them operationalized. And we have lighthouse teachers that will implement different strategies, whether it's from a book study or something that they found inspiration from, and try it, share it with teammates as well as our leadership team. And then in response to the pandemic, we formed another leadership team called the Karen Connections. We noticed that students really needed to focus on social emotional development or accessing learning and so we did have a book study during our care and connections leadership team Um, it's called explosive child and we focused on strategies as well as looking at individuals and supporting them with who would be their champion and how to best support them and what progress has been made with each child. And our goal is to cultivate the strengths in every one of our staff members. So every staff member has taken what we call the Gallup Strengths Finders Assessment, and they have their top five strengths. Each of their top five strengths will land in one domain, executing, relationship building, strategic, or influencing. And we work on building teams to have balanced approaches. So if you have a teammate who might have a strategic strength, you can lean into them and support students through everyone's strengths on that team. So we cultivate our leadership teams as well as our staff with their strengths and various coaching opportunities. So the
0: assessment isn't just shared between leader and teacher, it's shared amongst the team. This is something that everybody knows how to access their teammates, their coworkers' strengths. That's awesome. You know, you you mentioned like, you know, some of the goals and, and the motivations behind that. Can you speak a little bit more about some of your desired outcomes, right? So if you're investing all of this into identifying teacher and staff strength, what are you hoping to get out of that? Because a lot of folks out there, oh, this is another thing to add to my plate or another thing to... You hear that a lot. So what are some of your motivations for focusing on strength-based skills here?
1: Yeah, I think that understanding yourself is really important in education, what your strengths are, what sometimes might come off as weaknesses, and also learning how to work with others, right? This collaboration piece is key in ensuring that we don't do more, but we do it smarter. And so we did this activity called Balconies and basement. And it has to do with the strengths finders assessment. And after all of our teachers took their strengths assessment and were able to identify their five different strengths, they were able to look at a document that talked about how those strengths really allow for you to lead the balconies, the beautiful aspects of them. And then um, basements are the ones that could be seen as areas of improvement. So I'm gonna give you an example. My top strength is futuristic, and I love seeing what could be and what possibilities there might be in our world and what we could do with our children. And that's very exciting, but sometimes it could be the that's the balcony. The basement could be that sometimes I live in that world and I'm not as timely in terms of um, making sure I execute ideas. So I know that's for me, that's something I'm working on. And it's not to say that I don't want to be futuristic and want to make sure I get things done. It's just to recognize that that is my strength and that's an area that others need to know about me when they're working with me. So we did this activity with all of our teams and each team member was able to share their balconies and basement and talk about going into the year, what teammates should be expecting to see so that it's not a shocker and what others can really lean into them with.
0: We're talking about, you know, individualized learning or individualized planning, you know, for your staff. How does this then translate for your students with disability, their students with learning differences specifically? I saw a lot of great things going on when we visited, but, you know, how does a strategy like this translate to then supporting those students? Tell us a little bit about that. I can speak to that from the perspective of being a former fifth grade teacher on a team that was pretty
2: well balanced. So we were a three-teacher team. And my strengths are, you know, I can't remember all five of them, but I'm analytical and an executor and the strengths of my teammates were more social, emotional, wooers, very empathetic. And so between us, we were able to identify the needs, both academic and social, emotional of our students, and then tap into each other's strengths to serve those needs So it ended up being a situation where I knew what my strengths were, but I also knew what I was challenged by. And I knew who I could go to, to get the resources or the ideas to be able to serve my students and what they needed. And I think that's what balancing these teams is all about. You know, you don't want everybody on one team just to be, you know, highly analytical. You need people who are going to balance that with being futuristic or being empathetic or being, you know. So I think that... We are so highly collaborative as a staff and as grade-level teams, and I think we'll probably talk more about it in some of the questions coming up, but, you know, we have these built-in systems and structures for collaboration, and when we do that, and we're able to leverage everyone's strengths, then the ideas that we come up with, the curriculum that we come up with is pretty amazing and personalized
1: for our students' needs. Completely 100%. What she said is absolutely true. Just to kind of lay a foundation, our learners, they have different needs to thrive in their learning environment. Some students might need a lot of structure Some students might need a lot of flexibility to learn. Some students need that social learning more than the friend next to them. And some students really need hands-on learning. Some students need more time. So lots of different needs. And we have a lot of talent and years and expertise on our staff and really leaning into a different perspective when supporting each child. If we implemented something and it didn't work, we really kind of lean into each other, similar to what Liz mentioned.
0: Yeah, we spoke a little bit about the name of the tool that you use. Are there any other tech tools, other tools that you're using that make the system possible that you wanted
1: to highlight before we dive a little deeper? In terms of being inclusive and really meeting the needs of our students, we have a pretty strong MTSS program. So that's multi-tiered support system. Anytime our students are not accessing their learning, they typically show in some sort of behavior or a form of communication that we're not used to so we typically have what we call a triad where our teacher will be with the parent and maybe another staff member we meet we talk about what's been going on we get some history we set some goals from the parents' perspective as well as our staff perspective. Then we wait about four to six weeks and we implement those strategies. Now, it could work, which is beautiful. That's the whole point of the system. Or it could be going down a different path where we have triad follow-ups, student success team, SSTs, and SST follow-ups. So we do have a system in place where students who we make changes in support of our students in class, but should they need a little little bit more. We do have a tier two and three system in place so that we can ensure that they are successful.
0: And then we've talked a lot about the goals and the the desired outcomes, but what about some challenges? What challenges are anticipated? What's kind of the hardest part about putting a system like this in place and how do you address it? We
1: believe and we invest in our teachers. However, since we've been growing, we've had to onboard new teachers while we expand our school. So the lens of onboarding our new teachers into our philosophy, our learning culture, and our belief system has been something that we've had to invest more time in. Mrs. Weiser, do you want to share a little bit more about that? I think that our school culture is
2: pretty unique, and we try to front load our new teachers with this idea that we're highly collaborative, but I don't think that there's a true realization of what that is until they get in the middle of it, right? Until they're at our school in the throes of it. And so this idea that you're teaching, you're not just closing the door and doing what you want to do or what you think is best for kids in isolation, but that we are all weekly coming together together. And we teach transdisciplinary units. And so we're looking at our units and what the big ideas are, what the related concepts are, what the standards are. We're talking about how this might play out for the week, you know, what ideas we have for lessons. We're sharing ideas and then we're teaching it. Then the next week we come back and we talk about the successes that we had, we talk about the challenges that we had. And so you have to be very vulnerable in a situation like that for it to be effective. And I'm not sure that's supernatural because, you know, there's so many variables in teaching. You're never going to get it perfectly right. Correct. So to be vulnerable like that, to engage in these authentic discussions, I think that that takes time to cultivate that kind of to have new teachers accept that kind of a culture and embrace it. And I think that just talking about it or telling people that that's what we do, it's not enough. You have to experience it and you have to want to do it and you have to love it. You know, it's a challenge just because I think that there's a learning curve there. There's growth that has to happen if if we want to have that type of school
0: culture. And I think that a lot of teachers can come out of other school cultures and other, you know, teacher training programs and be used to teaching in isolation or, you know, closing your door, teaching in a silo. And so to your point about collaboration can be very vulnerable, can make you feel very, very vulnerable. So I really appreciated your candor and insight there because it's not a flip of a switch, right? It's something you really have to have to work at. So could we talk a little bit about maybe some success stories? Our listeners love to hear stories about success in action. Anything that's going on because of these systems that you're using?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to celebrate, but just kind of tapping into the teacher lens, we've had a lot of success onboarding our teachers. One teacher in particular I'm thinking about in second grade, she was new to her school this year. She's previously taught at a different school and she came to some summer sessions where we onboarded her for kind of a two-day workshop um, between Mrs. Weiser and myself. We let her know about kind of our expectations, our philosophy, some things to be kind of aware about. She's also had a really strong team that supported her and kind of let her know and walked her through what to expect. And then during the year, we did notice that, you know, our expectations for classroom management was a little different from what she had. And so I, you know, talked to her and worked with her. And then Miss Weiser also worked with her as well, coached her, uh, went in for an observation. We did lots of check-ins. She went and was observing other teachers. So we had that fishbowl culture where our teachers are open to allowing other teachers to come in and seeing them in action. And I think through that, we have seen so much growth in her, which makes me so happy because I know that those kids, those 24 students, are in great hands with her. So I know it's all about keeping it learner-centered, but in order to do that, we also have to make sure our teachers are well-supported so that, in effect, we can see that with our kids. And I think that the premise behind IB is that people construct their learning. That's
2: how we learn best, right? And so I think that when we are supporting our teachers or staff or kids, it doesn't matter who, if you have that philosophy that, you know, it's not about telling someone what they need to do to improve. It's about how can we ask the question so that we can discover together or have you discover what works best for you. And I think that that is liberating, if you embrace it, right, because then it does become personalized and it does become about you and not about someone doing something to you or the, you know, the teaching of kids. It's like the kids are learning. The kids are constructing their own learning. The staff is constructing their own improvement, right? So it's not about top down. It's, it's organic.
1: That's kind of funny. We had a, a recent new team member to our leadership team. And she mentioned, well, your students seem to ask a lot of questions. They seem to write letters to you advocating for things. That's so different. And we love that. We love that because it's a sign that our kids are taking action. They're wondering. They're being curious. They are figuring out ways that they can take action to ensure that there is either more equality or there's some justice to the world from their lens, right? So it could be a playground like basketball issue, but it's very age appropriate for them. So that's very exciting when we see our students take action.
0: Yeah, it's like you read my mind. I was gearing up to ask you about the ways that, you know, your students and your teachers interact with this tools, methodologies, specific approaches. It sounds like you're doing lots of coaching, the fishbowl culture of observation. The students have a open line of communication. Is there anything else that you want to kind of highlight there and the ways that your students and teachers are interacting with this, These systems that you're using?
2: I think one thing that as we, you know, get deeper into the IB program, I think this is, what is this, Jenny, our seventh, eighth year? Yes. As an authorized school so it's one thing to know all the elements of an ib program it's one thing to know the the learner profile attributes and to know the key concepts and to know the approaches to learning but it's another to teach through them and so we have sort of grown from knowing them having them on our walls mentioning them you know having them in our planners to actually using them in conversation to actually having the kids use them in conversation as they're learning, because it's sort of just become a part of who we are. And so I think one of the other challenges that we sort of noted was this idea of time, right? Like, how do we get to it all? How do we serve everyone? And I think that one of the ways that we do that is by integrating it all in these transdisciplinary units. And so One major element of IB are the approaches to learning. And so those are basically the tools that kids need to be able to learn, be a successful learner in school. So communication skills, social skills, research skills. So by explicitly teaching these to the kids and teaching them, these are the tools that you have access to that you can pull out right now and you can use that to get this information or to access this. You know, you're really giving that agency to the kids. And putting it in their court, so that again, it's not something that we're doing to them, but it, it's that they are able to leverage their own strengths to be able to access their learning. And I think that that's been very
1: key in
2: our growth as a school to the kids' success.
1: And everything that Liz said is true, but we didn't get there overnight, right? We it w- it's been a journey. Yeah. So you know, I would say it's probably been at least ten plus years. I know in 2013. We were already a magnet squat Casita. However, we were looking to repurpose ourselves. And so we kind of embarked on this feasibility journey and IB, uh, the primary years program. And eventually we did kind of all of our staff members kind of explored, dabbled into what the IB world looked like, and we really liked it. So In 2014, we announced our candidacy um, as an IB school. So we really looked at all the different elements. We started to implement it. And mind you, we were not experts at this at all. And we were trying to figure it all out. We visited schools. We had a relationship manager that we tapped into quite a bit. We looked for lots of resources online of what this IB was going to look like at our school. And what's really beautiful about IB is that it's unique to every school. So we do have another IB school in our district, but they look completely different from who we are. So in 2017, we were authorized as an IB World School. And then every four to five years, you get reevaluated to be an authorized IB school. So we just had our reauthorization in 2021. So it's great. It could feel stressful that we're having this reevaluation, but it Nominal spawns us because it helps to refocus our energies into what we believe in and what our philosophy is as a school. So we know that Ivy offers this framework of thinking, but then we went in and we made these subtle shifts every single day, every single week, month, year. And then now, if we step back, it's shocking to me how far we've come, but it is very heartwarming, but it's not been overnight
0: people often overlook that, right? You know, we kind of were waiting for the results. We're waiting for the achievement. We're waiting for the metrics to go up right away. But it's a journey. I know that there's a lot to celebrate, though, Ecasita. I mean, I appreciate your frankness that it doesn't happen overnight. But tell us about, you know, the impact this has had on student achievement, the great work that you're doing. First and
1: foremost, we want our kids to get out of bed and be excited to come to school. That's the first thing, right? So, knowing that we need to create something relevant um, that will motivate them to get out of bed that's critical secondary i know that most schools will think of state test scores which is a huge element of our success story but most importantly i think it's the way our students are taking action what they're doing we had students that wrote to change makers and they were able to elicit some responses. They even wrote to our facilities department about the bark not being high enough and they're falling off the monkey bars and getting hurt. They came in and saw that you know, it was true. So they filled the playground with more bark. It's just the fact that our students recognize that there's something going on that's not right. They wanna take action in whatever way they can that's age appropriate. And they know that we're here to support them. I think that's a beautiful success story for me. So, before I was a coordinator, I was a classroom teacher, but before that,
2: I was an English learner support teacher, a resource teacher for the district. And one of the things that we wanted to see was miles on the tongue, right? So, we were challenged by the silent EL. And I think that if you come to Casita, we don't have that phenomenon. We don't have the silent EL at our school because there's so much to talk about. They're so invested in what they're learning and the content is relevant and it's connected. There's lots of social learning that's happening. And I think that when you walk into a Casita classroom, you don't see kids sitting down quietly at their desks in rows working independently. We don't, you know, we wanna keep that to a minimum. We want to give the kids opportunities where they can naturally flourish. And I think that that is probably for me the most exciting thing to see come out of our program is just the confidence and the engagement with the students.
0: I mean, that's huge. You're creating lifelong learners, right? You don't want the kids to narrow sort of their view of school as just a place to do academics. Academics are, of course, very important, but Sounds like you're really kind of wrapping around the whole the whole child there at Casita. Uh, let's wrap us up. What lessons have been learned, and any kind of recommendations
1: or or final thoughts? Leaders need to recognize that this is this is going to be messy. It's not clean cut. The journey is it's just messy. You know, we it's not a can't slide deck that you're going to be using most of the time. Where you know, going into classrooms, out talking to teachers and uh, talking with students and seeing what we need to do to make those subtle shifts to continue to grow. And being responsive that way is very difficult because it doesn't allow you to be very structured in a way that um, most admin programs teach you to be. But I think that it's important to be learner-centered And really listen to the kids, listen to the teachers, where where are the needs, where can we continue to grow? And so I think the number one attribute for any leader kind of going into this space and wanting to do some transformation is agility. So being agile to pivot when needed, staying strong in your vision into having a strong learning culture.
2: And I second that. And I would also say bravo to Jenny and probably all the other administrators out there who have a connection with their staff and their teachers and who have confidence in their staff and their teachers. Not enough can be said about how valuable that is. Jenny's very approachable. She understands that it's messy. She's been in the coordinator role. She's been in the magnet specialist role. She's been in the classroom teacher role. So she's one of us. She's been there. She understands how hard it is. And I think that in order for staff to have confidence in their leader, they need to be able to see that and appreciate that.
0: So I would say that's a key element as well. That's great. Before we go, how
1: can we stay in touch with what's going on at Casita Follow us on Instagram at Casita Center or on Twitter at Casita Magnet. And uh, we will be revamping our website this summer. So do visit us. And we do welcome guests to come join us and watch us in action. It's always exciting to get inspiration from others as well. So um, we welcome ideas. Great.
0: Liz and Jenny, thank you so much for chatting with me today. That's it for us today. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insights with the Educating All Learners Alliance. Thanks for listening in. And I'm Aurora from ELA. This was a deeper look into Casita Center for Technology, Science, and Math.